Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing. Member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. We turn our attention to the markets this week. U.S. CPI numbers reinforcing concerns about inflation. The financial stories that shape our world. A really different reaction to the markets. More indications of just how hot the U.S. economy really is. Through the eyes of the most influential voices. Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary. Catherine Keating, CEO of BNY Mellon Samzell, Chairman and Founder of Equity Group Investment. Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. Storm Storm season. From pipeline leaks in the North Sea to emergency repair of a broken gilt market in the UK to Hurricane Ian rampaging through Florida. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston. This week's special contributor Larry Summers and the Bank of England's abrupt move to shore up the British bond market. We're in very complex and uncharted territory with what's happening in the UK. And Nuveen CEO Jose Manaya on seeking refuge from the storm in the market. It's not just about stocks and bonds, now it's about alternatives. It was a week of stormy weather, starting with unexplained leaks in the Nord Stream pipeline off the coast of Denmark, something special climate envoy John Kerry says is a real risk for the environment. This is a massive leak bubbling up under the water. Uh, Methane is 20 to 80 times more damaging than CO2, so it has a profound impact in adding the amount of methane in the air. A major storm hit the market for British government bonds this week, triggered by the new government's proposed tax cuts, which had unintended consequences for the big pension plans as gilt yields shot up, requiring the Bank of England to step in, as explained by former MPC member 
Kristen Forbes. We are now in that situation yeah, every central banker doesn't want to be in where the fiscal side is going in a direction opposite what the monetary side is, is trying to do. U.S. banks weren't immune from the stormy weather either, as major banks were hit with $1.8 billion in fines for improperly allowing their employees, even some executives, to use social media outlets outside the record-keeping requirements. Regulators reached settlements with a dozen banks for failing to monitor employees' communications on unauthorized messaging apps like WhatsApp. And then there was the big storm, Hurricane Ian, that came up through the Caribbean and slammed into Florida, causing destruction we're still getting our arms around. The pictures that were coming out of Florida, we had a, you know, it was just lifting cars up and floating down the street. You know, you had before and after pictures of these beautiful little homes, and then all you could see is the tops of the roofs. So the storm surge lived up to the height, but it really did not a damn. And the markets, they reflected all that stormy weather, with stocks closing down for the week, down for the month, and down for the quarter. The S&P 500 lost 2.9% for the week and closed the quarter at the lowest point in two years, finishing under 3,600, while the Nasdaq gave up 2.7% for the week, down 4.1% for the quarter. Bonds sold off as well, with the yield on the 10-year up 13 basis points since the week began, ending up at 3.82. And here to take us through another tough week in the markets are David Bianco, Chief Investment Officer at DWS America, and Lori Cavasina, Head of Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Welcome both of you to Wall Street. Good to have you back. So let me start with you, David. The most basic question, how bad is it going to get? How bad is it going to get? Well, thank goodness it's Friday. The weekend should be a reprieve. Uh, tough day, tough week, tough year. The S&P 500 is down 25, 26% from its all-time high. This is, uh, this is a bear market. I find myself thinking about the 1970s lately. And I think something to keep in mind is that the 1982 bear market, uh, when the Fed was fighting inflation aggressively back then, the S&P fell 27, 28%. But in 1974, the S&P fell 48%. So I think a key question is, is this the beginning of a high inflationary period, or are we near the end of a high inflationary period? If you think we're near the end of a high inflationary period, the worst is largely behind, and the market shouldn't go too much further down, but that's the key question. Lori, I'm not feeling much better. <laughs> what do you think? All right, I'm going to try to make you feel a little bit Good. better. Um, so look, we think that the market is set to stage a major, major battle at the 3,500 level. And the reason for that is if you look back over the course of recessions into the 30s, uh, a median recessionary drawdown is about 27%. And so we'll get there when we're around 3,500 on the S&P. Um, and I still, as I talk to investors, I think many are still in the mild kind of quicker, shallow camp, but do think there's going to be a sluggish growth backdrop afterwards. I think people are not really looking for anything major like what we had in the financial crisis. So I think that at least we've got that at our back. I will tell you, if you think about kind of where investors' heads are at, something else that makes me feel a little bit better is I'm not sensing a ton of panic, definitely alarm. Um, but the big question of the day is, what do higher rates for longer mean for valuation multiples? And that's a very constructive conversation. Um, and we've done some work suggesting that we're probably getting pretty close if you hit that 3,500 level on the S&P to the same kind of multiple contraction you saw back in the 70s over the course of the entire decade. I want to come back to earnings, but before that, we just heard from Lori, short and shallow, I think you said. I think she's referring to a recession. Are yeah. you projecting a recession? And I guess my question really is, normally if you have a recession, we turn our heads and look at the Fed and say, okay, please cut rates. Do we have much room to really deal with the recession if and when it comes? 
We're expecting a short and shallow recession, but we're a bit concerned that the troughs might linger well into 2023. Uh, we're not expecting a V-shaped recovery after the, the small recession. We think it's going to be slow, real growth uh, afterward. The trouble here is that the Fed can't rescue us because of the inflation problem, and they can't attempt to rescue the, the equity market or even the economy broadly until they're confident that the inflation battle's been won. So I think what you, people know it's pretty clear at this stage the Fed is committed to fighting inflation, and they've decided they're willing to risk a small, moderate recession, tolerate one, to make sure that this uh, inflation beast is slain. What are you yes. expecting on earnings? We're expecting earnings for 2022 to be $225. I think at this stage, you should not expect any growth. It should be flat uh, in 2023. But every day that goes by with the shocks that we're experiencing, higher interest rates, a super strong dollar, collapses in other currencies around the world, even oil prices have come down a lot. And we are beginning to see a lot of companies come out and say, things are slowing. Okay, Lori Calvacina and David Bianco will be staying with us to give us some investment advice next. That's coming up on Wall Street Week here on Bloomberg. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. Frailty, thy name is woman, wrote William Shakespeare. 
thereby proving not only that he was arguably sexist, but that he indisputably had no knowledge of Wall Street. For the most fickle female of poetic imagination would seem a symbol of romantic constancy next to the recent behavior of the stock market. Indeed, to paraphrase that other male chauvinist, Sigmund Freud, what does Wall Street want? One thing it wanted, we were told, was Paul Volcker. It got him. That was Louis Ruckheiser, of course, calling Shakespeare a sexist, as I understand it, back in July of 1983, when the stock market was on its upward climb after Chair Volcker's interest rate shock therapy, and the bull market in bonds was just really getting started. By then, the CPI was climbing only 2.5% a year. The top movie was Star Wars IV, Return of the Jedi, and the police topped the charts with every breath you take. Things I can remember, actually. And we welcome back now David Bianco and Lori Calvacino. So, Given what we just talked about with what's going on in the markets, Larry, what's an investor to do? Where is their safe harbor from this storm? So look, I think it's a question of what your time horizon is. And if you're concerned about volatility in markets in the near term and want to add some more defense to the portfolio, I think the clear choice at this point is health care. Um, if you look at other defensive sectors, staples and utilities, you're basically at peak valuation relative to the broad market. Um, we also think there's significant earnings risk for consumer staples as the consumer weakens, pricing power wanes for some of these companies, and also staples have massive exposure uh, to the dollar, or to international issues. Um, and they're very, very sensitive to a stronger dollar. So. I think healthcare, you have less of that sensitivity and you have reasonable valuations. It's not a great story, um, but I think it's the best one you can tell on the defensives. So what about that? When I think of defensive, I think about things like consumer staples or utilities and things like that. Are and those good buys right now? I think the consumer staples are not a great place to hide, uh, especially if you believe that the market is in a, you know, in a bottoming process. Uh, they are going to suffer from the currency hit. They still have a stretched consumer, uh, packaging costs. So we also prefer healthcare. Um, the thing about healthcare is that it's now the second largest sector of the S&P 500, not financials, not industrials, certainly not energy or materials. So the S&P is global, the S&P is digital, tech businesses, and the S&P is medical. Now the global parts and the foreign currency exposure aren't helping right now, and there's a little bit of valuation risk still at some of the big digital names. But the medical part has on-demanding valuations, and we are quite excited about some of the innovation that we're seeing coming from the biotech and the, and the, and the, and the pharmaceutical companies, the medicine makers. You mentioned digital and tech. There yeah. are some people, as you know, David, who say you want to go into tech right now because it comes out of a recession first. It is a bit of an early cyclical, uh, and so are consumer discretionary stocks. But every cycle is different, and I think there are a few things that we have to be mindful of. I think this is going to be the consumer will be resilient, but a lot of consumer business models uh, might not be able to expand the way they have been over the past 10, 20 years of low inflation, low interest rates. Uh, we're trying to find which businesses have that long-term growth potential through innovation and through solving the problems that are causing us to have weak productivity. One thing is we expect jobs to hold up, but a small recession. But if you're adding jobs and the economy's not growing much, that means productivity is really weak. That's where we need companies to address that, 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 that problem. Which, Laurie, I think takes us back to something David said earlier, which is it depends on what you think the, the comeback, because sooner or right. later there will be a rebound. What does it look like? Right. Is it a V or is it more gradual? Because that will affect which one is the better place to be. Right. I think if you're thinking about rebound plays, I think you do want to look to some of these beaten up growth areas. I think you want to be very selective. I think you want to stick with quality. I think you want to stick with bigger market caps. But technology is an area that we think looks really, really interesting with reasonable valuations, um, areas 
like semiconductors look to me like they've bottomed out in terms of earning sentiment. Basically, nobody is taking numbers up there right now, and that's usually a good contrarian buy signal for that part of the market. But you know, going back to kind of what does this recovery look like, if you think it's going to be a hot economy, you want to buy value stocks, you want to buy cyclicals. But if you think it's going to be a cool economy, you do want to buy secular growth-oriented areas of the market. They typically outperform when GDP is below 2%. And I think that is probably the kind of recovery we're headed for. What about small caps? How do you feel about them? Um, you're asking me to talk about my first professional child. Um, so <laughs> I spent a long time covering this space. Um, and I think people who have covered this space for quite some time realize that in the middle of recessions, in the middle of these very challenging periods economically, this is when you do want to buy them. And if you look at small caps, they've been in a trading range versus large all year. There's some stability in the performance. They're mostly domestic. They're very cheap on valuation, basically at the bottom of their, of their historical range. And small caps are already pricing in a collapse in ISM manufacturing to typical troughs and a big spike in jobless claims from here. So I think the recession is largely baked in. And this is where you typically want to be on the rebound. And people want domestic U.S. exposure right now. So well, what about that issue of domestic U.S. exposure? Do you want to hide in America? You want to hide in America for now. Yeah. Um, and, and we are looking for businesses that, uh, like Lori said, the ones that will have a strong rebound. We want to be a little bit careful on small caps and semiconductors for a little longer. But those are ones that will likely have V-shaped price recoveries once we get past this. Um, the cousin of technology is communications. And that's been uh, beaten up very badly this year. We think that's overdone. So banks and communications, entertainment companies, internet companies, we think that's an area where investors can start um, uh, stepping up and, and, and buying where the reward should be worth the risks. Well, I know you've been going around the country talking to people. What are yeah. you hearing in terms of what they're interested in? What are they nervous about when it comes to investment? So it's funny. I mean, nobody feels particularly bullish right now. Hmm. Um, but I think there is a general recognition that people have plenty of defense in their portfolio, plenty of safety trades. And so they are concerned about when does the market bottom? What do I need to co own coming out on the other side? Because I think there is a general recognition that when, rebound, when the rebound finally does happen, they're underexposed to the kinds of things that do well in those rebounds. Do you hear from people, I don't want to be in equities no matter what they are. This is not the time to be in equities. I, I don't hear that. I mean, to be honest, you know, I, as I've talked to some of my more bearish kind of global multi-cap, multi-asset investors, um, I can usually talk them into looking into small caps right now. Um, so I think kind of the desire to kind of put everything in cash, it's just not something that's in the DNA of a lot of these people. But I do think even the most bearish investors out there are trying to figure out what has been de-risked and if there's an opportunity to put money to work in here. And ultimately, that is very healthy. David, what about bonds? Is it time to go back into bonds? Well, I think it's more of a 2023 uh, environment to go into bonds right now, you know, very short duration cash and trying to find the equities where the upside is worth taking the risks and the pain and the volatility you'll likely to go through the next few months. I, I think this week frayed nerves, though. A lot of people were fairly calm up until this week and, and even today didn't end very well. Um, so we, we still want to be a bit cautious. We are acting on this dip. We are buying it. But uh, we're also keeping dry powder. Uh, with cash, and um, it, it's probably best to just keep in mind that this will be a market that I think has a rally during the holidays on the idea that the Fed is done hiking. They won't cut anytime soon, but they'll be done hiking probably at the end of the year. That probably gives us a rally, but I think we find ourselves at these levels once again early next year in the spring. Okay, thank you so very much. It was great to have you both. That's Lori Calvacina and David Bianco. Coming up, we'll get some advice on where investors should hide out in these turbulent times from Nuveen CEO Jose Manaya. That's coming up next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg.
This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. That rainy day is here. Everywhere you look, economies and markets are struggling, with Jason Furman of the Kennedy School saying Europe may be in the worst shape. I think Europe is one of the biggest risks for a recession. Even as the world was also focused this week on the United Kingdom and the British pound, something the British opposition party hammered home. What we've seen in the past few days has no precedent. The government has lost control of the British economy. And for what? They've crashed the pound. But what happens in the UK and Europe doesn't necessarily stay there, as Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic pointed out. What we've seen in terms of market reaction is that uh, the proposal has really increased uncertainty and really caused people to question about what the trajectory of the economy is going to be uh, or might be moving forward. All of this leads Alvaro Pereira, the chief OECD economist, to take down growth estimates overall worldwide. Our forecast certainly is a challenging one because we are forecasting a significant slowdown of the economy um, to, say, the United States growing at 0.5% next year, uh, the euro area growing 0.3%. Globally, we're talking about significant slowdown. Right now, it looks like more than just a rainy day. We may be headed into a real storm. And if so, where are the ports for the smart investor to head into as we batten down the hatches. And we welcome now someone whose job it is to figure out how bad the storm is and where we should head as investors when it happens. He is Jose Manaya. He's the CEO of Nuveen. Welcome back. Great to have you, Jose. Hey, thanks for having me, David. First, uh, on the storm, as I'm calling it, uh, how bad is the storm, do you think, economically? Like, uh, the, the storm is choppy, but it hasn't really changed much in, in our view, right? I think going into now the latter half of the year, we still see volatility ahead. But, you know, the, the fundamentals are strong in that you're seeing consumer household balance sheets are really good, the labor market. So we're not really forecasting a prolonged uh, downturn or, or recession. That being said, I think our view is the same it was back in 2019, right? We, we, we've been telling our clients, be prepared for lower returns in the previous decade. Be prepared for more volatility. And by the way, inflation, while you haven't seen it for a long time, it may show up. And here it is in our shores, right? So for us, it's about staying invested staying disciplined, maybe more defensive today, but always diversification, right? It's not just about stocks and bonds. Now it's about alternatives. How do you get more outcomes and solutions? Because there's really nowhere to hide in a world where all correlations go to one. Well, well let's talk about it that exactly. As we have a Federal Reserve and other central banks raising rates, and it looks like they're going to continue doing that for a while, it necessarily takes asset values down, whether it's stocks or it's bonds. And we're seeing that, goodness knows, in the markets overall right now. Uh, what do you do if you're an investor in that world? Are there some assets that are better than other assets? Well, one, I would say this is where active management, I think, comes back into the fold, right? So there's going to be winners and losers. Clearly, in today's environment, we see buying opportunities. You have to be careful of value traps um, as well. But then you think about inflation, rising rates. Well, if you look at middle market bank loans, senior loans, well, they have floating rate paper. You think about getting more exposure to commodities, uh, things that have a higher correlation to inflation as well, real estate. Um, these are all the different mixes. That's why when I talk about diversification, it's like there's active management, but there's also you can be more explicit and intentful to ride the wave with, you know, benefit from rising rates to actually be highly correlated to inflation in, a, in an inflationary environment. In active management, you're going to have exceptions to any rule, so you have to be careful. But as a rule, 
uh, is it the time to stay away from equities because that discount rate is going up and that automatically just reduces the value of the equities? I would never say it's time to stay away from equities. Obviously, when you know we believe in staying invested. That being said, today on, on, on the margins, we see more value in uh, on, on the fixed income side versus credit. We see more value actually in high yield, right? You've got a high yield market almost topping 8% in yields, you know, maybe again more active management there, picking the better, better credits, stronger credits. So yeah, on average, we see a tilt more towards fixed income, a tilt more towards private markets. Uh, but I would never say completely stay away from equities. So talk about high yields, because I've heard others suggest that's sort of almost a substitute for equities in a way. And obviously, we're getting some bigger returns now. But we're getting re bigger returns for a reason. Uh, as we're worried about a recession, a downturn, you're worried about some of those companies not being able to pay back the money. And by the way, we, we acknowledge that actually spreads can continue to widen from here. That being said, when you look at a risk return perspective, you look at some of the most attractive pricing we've seen you know, in, in quite a long time. These are still the areas where, again, active management, picking the right credits, maybe still being more defensive, picking the stronger credits, but the yield versus the risk that we're taking and the pricing you're seeing in equities versus the high yield in the fixed income market, today we see more opportunities there. But look, this is, you know, we're in year three of this kind of quote unquote interesting and challenging year. <laughs> Guess what? I think 2023 is going to be more of the same of that. You're going to have volatility. Now is the time to, again, stick to your discipline, you know, stick to, uh, to a diversified portfolio, but then again, actively, you can find these pockets where you, uh, you, you can do well. Okay, thank you so much, Jose. Really appreciate it. That's Jose Manai. He is the CEO of Nuveen. Coming up, we'll wrap up the week with our special contributor, Larry Summers of Harvard. This is Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. 
That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston, and we're delighted to welcome back once again our very special contributor here on Wall Street Week. He is Larry Summers of Harvard. So, Larry, uh, maybe not the most consequential thing, but certainly the most noteworthy thing in the markets this week was the Bank of England saying they're going to buy an unlimited number of long-term gilt bonds to try to stabilize the marketplace. I know there was a specific problem there, but does that indicate something broader about the markets? David, we're in very complex and uncharted territory with uh, what's happening in the UK and wouldn't amaze me if uh, we had situations like that in uh, more places. Uh, look, the UK has fundamentals that are out of whack in which the market does not believe that they have a sustainable path of macroeconomic policy. That over time, no matter what interventions you do, spells very difficult times for their long-term bonds, for their currency, for their rate of inflation, and ultimately for their economy. They pursued uh, yesterday what's called in, a, in this little field um, a market maker of last resort option at a moment when there were huge margin calls. And so there was great selling pressure, but no buying pressure on long-term bonds. They committed to step in and buy for the next two weeks. And that, for a time, stabilized things. But it's not going to stay stable uh, forever on the basis of two weeks buying. And it's probably not even going to stay stable for two weeks uh, unless there is a sense that this is a bridge to the fundamentals being fixed. And that's not what we uh, are seeing from the indications we're getting uh, this morning. That's uh, why I encouraged uh, the IMF to make clear that it was monitoring uh, this situation. And the IMF made uh, clear that it was concerned, uh, even adding some editorialization on the regressivity of the tax policy, of the tax uh, uh, code, which I'm not sure is their usual uh, role. But there's uh, got to be real concern. So, 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 Larry, it's clear the Bank of England stepped forward and saying we are willing to be, as you say, the market maker of last resort. Are some other central banks going to have to potentially step up, at least be willing to step up and be a market maker of last resort? What about Bank of Japan? What about, for that matter, the Federal Reserve? I don't think there's any sign that I see yet of other markets being uh, disorderly. But we know that when you have extreme volatility, that's when these situations are more likely to arise. When you have extreme volatility coupled with 
substantial uh, leverage coupled with uh, substantial uncertainty about what's going to happen in uh, policy layered on top of the kind of uneasiness that you have with uh, high rates of inflation underlying and with the kind of geopolitical and commodity uncertainty that's coming out of what's happening in Ukraine and uh, China, this is certainly not a time when uh, very many firefighters should be taking vacations. (laughs) Um, And so I've got nothing to, uh, uh, to predict But I do certainly think we're living through a period of uh, elevated uh, risk and that uh, earthquakes do not begin, earthquakes don't come all of a sudden. There are tremors first. And most of the time when they're tremors, they're just tremors and it it goes away. But not 100% of the time when there are tremors does it just go away. And so in in the same way that uh, people became anxious in August of 2007, this is a moment when there should be uh, increased anxiety. So, so Larry, a couple more reasonably quick ones. Number one, uh, should the Federal Reserve be particularly nimble at this point? You said it's incredibly complex. Some people think they've built in so much momentum on the rate hikes that they should actually consider how they can adjust to the data. Look, I I think uh, after a long time when uh, he was uh, still captaining Team Transitory, I think... uh, Chairman Powell is now in the right place. I think uh, Chairman uh, Chairman Powell is uh, saying uh, that uh, he sees the centrality of inflation as the concern. He's also saying, which is just the right thing to say, that uh, while it's their plan to move vigorously to the point where monetary conditions are restrictive. And the 3% interest rate they have right now is not restrictive. Their plan is to move to a restrictive place, and that's appropriate. He's also making clear that they're going to maintain their peripheral vision on what's happening to the real economy and certainly to uh, the emergence of uh, financial strains. So I think that is uh, broadly appropriate. You know, I certainly have written the sentence many times about long and variable lags, and that is a real feature of the difficulty of doing monetary policy uh, now, David. I think it's worth remembering that when you're in a regime of signaled policy, I suspect the lags may be a bit smaller Hmm. than they otherwise would be, Hmm. in the sense that uh, the response to, for example, the hike 
that will come in December is probably already happening because it's been factored into uh, prices, has fed through into medium-term rates. Uh, It's a really interesting point. Larry, one last one. You really uh, tweeted a fair amount about the Jones Act this week. Finally, there was a suspension of it with respect to Puerto Rico, so they get some of that fuel on. Explain to us why you're so wrought up about the Jones Act. So look, the Jones Act was um, Woodrow Wilson's Buy Buy America industrial policy. They had the idea that we'd require that stuff being carried between the United between uh, the United States between Houston and uh, Boston uh, to Puerto Rico to Hawaii would have to be carried on U.S. ships because that would make us not dependent on foreigners and not make us and make us uh, more secure. Whatever the logic of that idea when they had it in 1920, it makes no sense uh, today. Larry, thank you so very much for being back with us. That's Larry Summers of Harvard, our very special contributor here on Wall Street Week. Finally, one more thought. Mark Twain famously said that history does not repeat itself, but it does sometimes rhyme. And we have certainly seen that recently. And everything from the echoes of Roger Maris with his record-setting 61st home run, that came actually 61 years ago, and that is now echoed by one Aaron Judge, also of the New York Yankees. One of baseball's greats, um, you know, be enshrined with him forever is... You know, it's, words can't describe it. To Russia, going to war confident of a big, quick win, as it did with Japan back at the very beginning of the 20th century, only to lose ignominiously. Something that it certainly hasn't done in Ukraine, well, at least not yet, but boy, has it gone less well than Vladimir Putin ever imagined it would. To have uh, Ukraine conducting a strong offensive Uh, that's working is uh, incredibly important to uh, putting real pressure on both Putin and the Russians. And this week, we saw the leader of the political party descended from Benito Mussolini rising to lead Italy 79 years after El Duce fell. Giorgia Meloni accomplished a threefold success, political success. So her party clearly emerges from these elections as uh, the clear winner of these elections. So now we're hoping for a very different sort of historical rhyme, as the current Fed chair, Jay Powell, is hoping to replicate some version of what his predecessor, Paul Volcker, pulled off 43 years ago with a series of dramatic interest rate hikes that brought runaway inflation in the United States to heel, something Mr. Powell is not subtle about saying he'd like to repeat one way or the other right here, right now. The successful Volcker disinflation of the early 1980s followed multiple failed attempts to lower inflation over the previous 15 years. And as we hope that Jay Powell does get his way on inflation, might we look for something similar on the strong dollar? For soon after Chairman Volcker got his arms around inflation in the United States, the British pound back then started to collapse, something Treasury Secretary James Baker wanted to fix to help his boss's friend, Margaret Thatcher. But on that one, Secretary Baker took the league by coordinating with other finance ministers while the chairman, Chairman Volcker, went along, if somewhat reluctantly. So if history rhymes on the strong U.S. dollar, Britain may need to wait for inflation to come down before it gets any U.S. help for its pound. That does it for this episode of Wall Street Week. I'm David West, and this is Bloomberg. See you next week. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. 
Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.